Hey, welcome to Friday and your long weekend. It's the Bill Kelly Podcast. Greg Brady in for Bill Kelly all week. What a great time we've had. Very informative, hopefully entertaining. Uh, A good chat with Robin Urbach today on the pod. Journalist and commentator with the Globe and Mail. We talk about AstraZeneca. Obviously, the province moving to allow second doses for people who had their first AstraZeneca dose. We talked about the practicality of that and the political side of where the Ford government is right now with Maybe a year to go until they attempt to get reelected. Are there election hopes playing into some of the strategy involved, including the outdoor restrictions? And did that backfire? We're going to talk to Ryan Imgren, biostatistician and teacher about safe, not safe, outdoor, indoor, whether or not teachers and students should be vaccinated mandatory vaccinations in the fall. And I'm going to ask that same question of Harvey Bischoff, president of the OSSTF, the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation. And if you've got a kid in school this fall, you'll want to listen. We talk about what the new normal might be and how close we can get to the old normal. It's all coming up on the Bill Kelly Podcast. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. We are all assessing our own personal risk and we're kind of indifferent, if not impervious, to how policy shifts around. Doug Ford can't reopen or close the economy. He can't. Only you can with your decisions once you have options. Okay? They can't make you put a mask on when you walk outside. They can't make you take them off. You decide that stuff. But that's the route we got to go. That's the route we got to go the rest of the summer, the rest of the late spring and summer and fall, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Very pleased to welcome in uh, the excellent columnist with The Globe and Mail. I'm a big fan of her work, Robin Urbeck. It's great to have you on. How are I'm going like full Joey Tribbiani here. How 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 are you doing? How are you holding up? How how are you doing? I'm doing okay. (laughs) I mean, I'm enjoying this warmer weather, getting outside, breaking probably some of the provincial rules. But hey. You got to sit at a picnic table once in a while. So there you go. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's funny. Steve Ryan on CP24, the former cop, did a report um, as they were getting away from the Ford Newser. And he did the report in front of a tennis um, a tennis area, a park, which had four courts fully operational. I'm like, where is that? What are like? There just seems to have been some renegade movements. There have been renegade rules. And like I said, I'm hearing from people all morning, Robin, that are saying we're doing our own thing anyway. And we have been for so long now, not just the last 34 days when they inanely shut all these very, very safe things down. But way before that, that's it's it's open. It's Lord of the Flies, it feels like. Yeah, I think. And it's understandable, too, I think, for two reasons. One, because some of the instructions make no sense. I mean, we've been told over and over again to get outside outside is the safest place to go keep your distance but you know what just don't find yourself in confined spaces where there isn't great airflow and then all of a sudden the province shuts down all sorts of outdoor activities so people just say you know what i'm going to make up my own mind and two i think some of the instructions have been so back and forth and so conflicting i'm thinking specifically about vaccinations Mm -hmm. and we're going to continue to hear more about that but i mean People were told, get the first vaccine available to you. Oh, wait, actually, no, get the better vaccine. Wait, we didn't actually mean that. They're all the same. So I think you're right. People are taking the information that they have and they're making their own judgments based on the evidence that they see, based on common sense, based on what they're hearing from their own doctors and their family and their friends. And I think it makes sense after a year and a half of conflicting information and vague information and back and forth and mixed messages 
that's what people are going to do. They're going to have to look internally and decide what they think makes sense for them. You mentioned AstraZeneca. We'll hear top of the hour and probably if the reporting's accurate, um, Dr. Williams will say, hey, if you if you had it on your first dose, we're going to make it available in your second dose. It's almost a, a huge bonus because for some of us who got the other vaccines, we're going to wait the full 16 weeks. Even people in their 70s are because the AstraZeneca is going to spoil at the end of the month. There's people that are that are going to be doubly you know, doubly covered by AstraZeneca way sooner than than some of the rest of us. It's it's a it's a in, incredible irony given that they paused the the first doses last week of it. Absolutely, but I think it's a good thing for everyone. I mean, the more people who have two doses, the better. We can see the evidence from the UK that AstraZeneca. Yes, there is this small risk of a very specific type of blood clot. That risk seems to be significantly reduced with the second dose. So if you've gotten the first dose, chances are you're going to be just fine with the second one. And you're going to be ahead of the rest of us who have to wait extra weeks to get our second doses. But it's to everyone's benefit. We want more and more people getting that second dose. And if we have AstraZeneca just waiting in our fridges and freezers and they're going to expire at the end of the month, I think would be a great thing to get them in people's arms um, to get them, frankly, out of the queue so we can keep trudging along, keep moving on with our vaccinations and hopefully keep getting closer and closer to a state where we can resume somewhat normal life. So agree with that. Robin Urbach uh, with the Global Mail joining us on the Bill Kelly Show with Greg Brady, chatting with her at 900 CHML, 980 CFPL in London. Um, what what did the province tell you when they say we're not going to do this on a regional basis? We're going to do this on on sectors. And there's so much debate and back and forth about schools and the premier blabbers about summer camp on the weekend and people start getting all torqued up in a good way or a bad way about it. Um, regionally, it something still makes sense. I don't know what the sector thing means. A sector is a region. How, how did you interpret that? <laughs> I didn't really. I mean, I don't exactly know what the province is getting at in terms of breaking up the different regions. I think the overall message that I took away from this reopening plan is that finally, I think we're seeing a more conservative, a more meticulous, a more careful approach to reopening that we've seen from this government at any point in the pandemic. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that the government, frankly, screwed up so abysmally, both in the second wave, which we kind of forget about because mm-hmm. the effect was largely felt in long-term care. That was before there were vaccinations. So the the death toll there was astronomical. Um, and then, of course, before the third wave, we opened up too quickly and, and we saw numbers in our ICUs and our hospitals, unlike we had seen at any point during this pandemic. So I think the evidence is is that the province, I think, has finally learned its lesson. But the irony, I think, is that we're still seeing a bit of an overcorrection. Um, yes, we're going to see some recreational activities reopening this weekend, and we're slowly going to get to the point where we're seeing more and more. But look, it won't be until stage one of this reopening plan that outdoor camping, for example, will be permitted or day camps. And that won't happen until the middle of June. And then we have to wait another 21 days until we get to the next step. So I think the science table and certainly doctors and epidemiologists and people who have been fairly conservative um, in terms of their reopening advice are looking at this and they're happy to see it. And I think there's reason for that. But I think you could still argue that 
outdoor activities not only should have been permitted, but encouraged this whole time. And I think what we're seeing is the effect of a government that, frankly, has been spooked by some of its past behaviors over the past year and a half and is probably overcorrecting. And I would say to the detriment, especially of kids who deserve to get outside and, and make use of whatever outdoor amenities that are available to them. I think that about the kids a lot, and I, I think the parallel I always think about, Robin, is is when you're, you know, when you're in elementary school or high school, and and you're sick for the day. If you can't make it, to, and even if you're pulling a bit of a Ferris Bueller, you're not going to be able to go out and go biking with your friends after school. You can't go to a movie that night. Mm-hmm. You can't go to the. You can't you go play in your baseball or soccer game. But that's not what this is, and I worry the province. Like I shuddered when um, Robert Benzie had that story a few Fridays ago, and someone says around the the decision table for the conservatives, whether it's a lobbyist or an actual MPP, well, we can't bring anything back unless we're bringing schools back. And I'm like, schools are probably, in all honesty, in the heavy, heavy case regions, the last thing you should be bringing back because, like, going and having a soccer practice outside is not spending seven hours times five and eating lunch there um, in a classroom of 24 kids. It's just not. Exactly. I think there was a question posed to the the premier on Thursday, actually, about um, how it is that the province could reopen retail or um, some other activities before schools. And I think, it, it, sure, it sounds bad. You want schools to be open. Certainly, it's important for kids. But you got to remember that these retail outlets or, or certainly outdoor activities, they're probably much safer than shoving a bunch of kids in closed classrooms with windows that maybe don't open all the way and breathing on each other and coughing on each other. Um, schools are hard to get right. You've got a lot of kids in a really tight space and the kids are going to be the last ones to get vaccinated. So I understand the impulse to, to want to get kids back in classes, but I think especially now that we're seeing some great weather and kids certainly want to get outside and they've had a tough go of it, probably tougher than many of the adults that have had to endure this. I say open up the outdoor activities for them. Let them play. Let them go to day camp. Let them go in the splash pads, which still aren't going to be open under these rules. But let them do those things. Let them enjoy themselves for the last month or so that they would have been in school. And hopefully we can get back to a regular school year next September. Robin Urbach, our guest from the Globe and Mail. Um, Do you look at the outdoor restrictions and say clearly, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about, um, you know, who's advising Doug Ford. a lot of talk about um, Nick Kuvalis being involved. Did they try and basically pit us against each other? Did someone tell them that, hey, listen, put in, put in, put the golf and tennis aside, and if you know, you we can paint you as a man of the people, and we're not going to let the elite have their elite activities if nobody else, if if, if John Johnny regular uh, Joe and Mary lunch bucket can't get a haircut. Is there anything to that strategically for them going into an election year? It's possible. I mean, although. I think the outdoor restrictions kind of pissed everybody off, yeah. frankly. Um, so in a way, it kind of united people against the government because whether you play basketball or golf or you just like to sit on a picnic bench or you want to go camping, there's um, demographics all across this province who kind of looked at that scratching their heads saying, what the hell is this government doing? 
I think from what we know from from some of the leaks and some of the people who have spoken off the record from this government is that they've been so focused on mobility um, data and looking at the way people move across the province. And I think the thinking really was, okay, we've got to shut things down so that people stay home. And whether that means shutting down retail or or closing patios or locking up the tennis courts, we just want to make sure that people are not going out of their homes because if we can keep them in their homes and the virus doesn't spread and of course that's a hugely mm-hmm. simplistic way to look at it but i really think that was driving a lot of this decision at least weeks ago to put the stay-at-home order in effect and to shut down outdoor activities so i think it was totally misguided but i think that was part of the thinking of of where this all came from but i think ironically it almost united a lot of Ontario and just everyone shaking their heads and thinking, well, what is this government doing? It makes no sense. When you look at all of the other places that have had to deal with various waves of COVID-19 infections, I don't think anywhere else mm-hmm. put a clamp down on outdoor activities the way that Ontario did this far in the pandemic, knowing what we know about COVID-19. So I think we were the outliers in a very bad way and almost a laughing stock, really, if you think of the other places that figured this out a lot better than we did. So I don't know yeah. exactly what the government's intention was, but I would say probably it backfired. I got about a minute. We're about a year away from from an election. I always thought Doug Ford's path to, to getting another government, even in a minority government, is is the vaccinations and how people would react. I think I think that's that's a huge thing for Justin Trudeau. And there's been mixed results. It's getting better. It didn't start great. Um, but do you look and say, based on what you just said, there there have to be conservative MPPs that are wondering next year, can I keep my seat if. If the premier is the premier next year, look, there there had to be liberals. There had to be liberals in 2018 that looked and said, you know, the best I can't say it publicly, but the best thing for me would be for Kathleen Wynne to step down. We're, we're going to get run over by a train in this election. And they did. They went from 55 seats to seven. Maybe nothing that dramatic for the Ford conservatives, but there have to be PC MPPs going, oh, God, like this. Yeah, w- w- we don't have a chance here. Um, under these kind of restrictive policies and, and this kind of back and forth? I think their best chance, frankly, is a weak opposition. And I think Andrea Horvath has had years and years and years to to capitalize on weak opposition in, in terms of who was in government, and she never really did that. Stephen Del Duca is still relatively unknown on the scene, the, the leader of the Ontario mm-hmm. Liberals. Um, so we'll have to see. I think if an election was held tomorrow, certainly... There'd be a lot of uh, progressive conservative MPPs kind of thinking, oh, we've got to get dug out if we have a chance in hell to, to win this thing. But I don't know, a year is a long time, and it's possible that the euphoria of just being back in normal life and in a normal situation, which hopefully we will be by that point, it will sort of obscure all the trials and tribulations and kind of fade our memories to some of the pretty significant mistakes yeah. that have happened throughout this pandemic. Will that happen for mm. sure? I don't know. But I think we're seeing a little bit of it federally in terms of some of the blowback against the federal government with the early hiccups in terms of procuring vaccines. That seems to have faded a little bit, certainly as we've seen more and more shipments come in. So it's possible that the same thing mm. happens with 
the Ontario PCs, we'll have to see. But I think right now, if an election was held tomorrow, certainly, I think this party would be in real trouble. Yeah, it's a long way out. There's, there's some time for recovery. Robin, enjoyed our chat. Thanks very much. Have a great long weekend. Thank you. You too. Robin Urbach, Globe and Mail, joining us. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let's bring in our uh, our, our great numbers guy. He's a high school teacher. He's a bi- biostatistician to the stars. I see every time I turn on my television, he's on. He's on. Uh, there better be a book. There better be a, a, a television series. There better be something. Uh, Ryan Imgren, a biostatistician and uh, teacher. Sometimes I see you outside. Sometimes you're in front of your uh, your China collection of uh, plates and dishes. Um, lots of options. For where are you? Where are you talking to me from today? I'm from inside the kitchen, just looking outside at the pool. Why aren't you out in the pool? Or you're, you're, I should uh, be in the pool. It's a <laughs> little bit cold right now. We just opened it, so it hasn't hit 70 yet. But once it hits 70, I'm hopping mm. right in. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So we got lots. Let's go rapid. First of all, rapid. Uh, tragically hip. Like you don't have. It, it's okay. I know everyone's afraid to say they don't like the tragically hip or rush. If they're not your favorite, you can tell me. I don't mind them. They're okay. Yeah. yeah. I agree. You, neither of us could ever run for office by just saying they're all right. But I don't think that I don't think we're getting called by a higher power. And as we've seen from politicians uh, the last fifteen months, they're flawed. They'll just say, with the, you know, they won't be honest like you will be or I will be. So you know, um, we, we're fine doing what we're doing with our lot in life. I think we definitely need honesty in this world. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, the AstraZeneca second shot. I'm I, I'm more thoroughly excited by this. Usually, Doctor Williams' voice doesn't uh, send me into an excited uh, uh, tizzy, but I am, and uh, and all the A- AZ folks will get their second shot. And how is this bad? We're going to have a ton of fully vaccinated people before before they even thought, and before we even thought. Yeah, that's a really really good thing. I mean, especially because that uh, fully vaccination um, seems to be where we're able to actually reopen. We, so the faster we can get people fully vaccinated, the better. It is. And I think this is definitely one way to do that. I mean, from just kind of crunching the numbers, what I'm seeing is that we're going to reach that whole 60, 70 percent fully um, half vaccinated first. So really, if we want to reopen faster, we got to get people fully vaccinated. And if we can get the AstraZeneca into people as fast as possible, there we go. I, I never want to dwell on past mistakes. I think we react to them in real time. We say, oh, God, that's the wrong call. That's the wrong messaging. And uh, and not all of us have been right about every single little thing, quite obviously. Some of us, I'd argue, have a higher winning percentage than others. What was the messaging on, on AZ that just that, that, that kind of made you just most frustrated, Ryan, or most uh, most disappointed? Because you got a few options here. It could come from the province. It could come from NASI. What was it? Yeah, you know what? I'll be honest. I think um, it's it was a good vaccine, but at the time, um, you know, th- there were so many little factors. I think is what kind of came into it, and I was kind of comfortable making the choice to take AstraZeneca myself. Um, but I had to really, really, you know, look at the like community rate, how long it would take to get the second dose, and I think that's one of the things that I found was a really, really big issue is that if you have to like conduct a thorough risk analysis yourself. Um, that's probably not the best vaccine to be rolling out to people. And I don't think that was like, communicated very clearly. I mean, sure, it was it was like buried deep in the like nasty guidelines. But if I don't read them, 
I doubt anyone reads them. Yeah, that's 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 absolutely a big point. And then the age thing got uh, got quite confusing. There were obviously people in their forties screaming to get it, and we waited and we waited and we waited. And and again, I, I just look at the United Kingdom, Ryan, and I go, it saved them. It it saved them. And and there are things that some people are more hesitant to do than others. Some people are more excited to do than others right now. But it got them a lot closer to fully vaccinated a fully vaccinated society um, than if they hadn't used it. Plain and simple. It certainly did. And I mean, when they started vaccinating with AstraZeneca too, their numbers were out of like control. So, I mean, in a situation like that, um, you know, 30 and up was a good mm-hmm. thing, maybe even 20 and up in a, you know, situation like that. But once again, for, for us to have to like conduct a risk analysis in order to figure out if the vaccine is the right one or not, I can see why they did take this one off. With that being said, we do know that with the second dose, you're less likely to have these the complications. So it is good that we're getting that into people as fast as possible. Ryan Ingram, biostatistician, joining us. Uh, he's a high school teacher as well on the Bill Kelly Show. Greg Brady in for Bill today. Um, look, yesterday uh, they walked back the outdoor activities. Um, they were absurd. They were punitive. They lasted 34 days. They were uh, as wrong as wrong can be. They were wrong from, from a disciplinary scenario. They were wrong from a science scenario. So I'm not going to give them credit and a standing ovation for getting rid of those. But what they announced yesterday was a more sensible roadmap, apparently, out of this pandemic. Tell me your reaction. Give me the Coles notes, sort of what you liked and and what you're like, well, this isn't great and we need a lot more information on it. Yeah, I mean, it's sad that it like like took until May 2021 for them to finally follow science, realize that outdoor activities are a good thing, that we should be encouraging people to get outside. So you're right. We shouldn't be applauding them for this. It's just taken them so long to finally do the right thing. I mean, with that being said, um, you know, the one thing I think is that when they're opening up non-essential uh, the businesses, um, I think the first round was 15%. They could have even gone up to like 20%. So, I mean, even using that 15% was somewhat following the numbers. So I like did like that. I think my one like concern is the fact that we're still treating all of Ontario the exact same and i have a really really big problem with that um you know when we look at some areas sudbury thunder bay etc they literally have 15 times fewer cases weekly per capita than some of the other areas do and i and for me it just doesn't make sense that we kind of clump all of ontario in just one area i think the other thing too is that we don't know, like there was a mention of health indicators that may stop um, places from moving from one area to the next. Well, we already know that once again, all of Ontario looks very, very different. So what if we see cases go up in Lake Peel, we hold back all of Ontario. If we see cases go down in Lake Toronto, we move forward all of Ontario. It's not very clear the movement from one thing to the next. I do like the vaccine targets. But I don't think the health indicators were communicated very, very clearly for moving from one area to the next. Here's what I'd say, too, and and this will lead into you expanding on that. I got it at Christmas time that they'd say, well, listen, Toronto's locked down. So, t- you know, people are going to go shop somewhere else. They're going to go get a haircut somewhere else. They're going to dine indoors somewhere else. Here's what they won't do in other places. Y- your kid playing T-ball, your kid playing for his competitive soccer team. They're not like people aren't doing that. They won't be doing that. They really golf might be something, 
might be something where they say, listen, people drive an hour to go to the course and whatnot. But again, mobility means nothing. It's what you do when you get out of your car. What they're not doing is playing pickup basketball and driving an hour to another county. And they're not doing that to, for a tennis game unless you really want to get revenge on somebody that keeps beating you. Bottom lining it. There's a way to, to open up a lot more, especially in these regions, especially in these areas where there's there's very low case counts. The idea that, that, you know, on a beautiful night like tonight, there isn't a soccer or baseball practice going on among all 15 million of us is absolutely absurd. It's absurd. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I think, too, you know, on, on that whole school front, I mean, you know, I've been a big like, proponent about following data when it comes to school. There are some areas where I think you could – safely open up schools right now where mm-hmm. the like, cases are very, very low. Uh, but once again, though, once you start to reopen things, you need metrics for where, look, we're going to hold back or look, we're going to roll back. I mean, we even saw this here. I mean, most likely we're going to see numbers decrease. We're going to see vaccines go up. So I don't think we have to worry about a, you know, roll back. But if we do reopen schools, we already said, and we heard the, the government say yesterday, like transmission is going to increase um, when we open up schools. Okay, so what's an acceptable level? And we could have made that a regional decision. There's no reason that with things like schools and outdoor activities like you were talking about that we have to clump all of Ontario in. Um, it just doesn't make sense. I'm looking at your uh, regional dashboard for today. You do a phenomenal job of it. People can follow you at Imgrund, I-M-G-R-U-N-D. Uh, so our whole Ontario um, RT is at is at 0. .90. We can do better than that. But where we're on in Hamilton right now, a 101. Um, I'm looking at Halliburton, 109. Chatham-Kent, 102. We've still got some, uh, you know, we may not have forest fires, but, you know, we've got some embers burning in some, in Peterborough. I can't even believe I didn't see Peterborough at 113, let alone Temiskaming. We've got some problem areas. Yeah, we definitely do. And, I mean, some of these problem areas already have high case counts as well. And I think that's the real troubling part when you have a high case count and you also see growth as well. I mean, you hit on the head with, like, Peterborough. They've already got a very high case count. Mm -hmm. They've seen the growth as well. Whereas if you look to North Bay, North Bay is seeing similar growth, but they have such a small number of weekly cases, it's not a really, really big issue. But I mean, you can really see, um, you know, when you dig into those numbers, just the range of stuff going on here in Ontario. And I think, too, you know, with that whole uh, regional travel issue, I don't think we need to worry about it as much. I, I think like, typically during the summer when we have people travel, um, you know, we don't have people driving four hours to, let's say, Sudbury to go to the mall, um, they're normally driving for outdoor activities, for golf, for things like that. So, I mean, a regional reopening would have been a much, much better thing here. Um, I've got uh, I've got an interesting chat with Harvey Bischoff, uh, OSSTF president, um, after 11 o'clock. I brought this up yesterday, um, and I think people are either really for this or patently think it's some kind of violation of freedom. But I mentioned, and I don't know how else to describe them, um, as mandatory vaccinations for teachers going back. We think they're all free and, and you know, liberal and this and that in, in the states, and they're just laissez-faire about COVID. But universities are mandating that professors and students and support staff sh- document that they're fully vaccinated before the next school year. Um, 
I know I know the strength of the teachers unions and I support the strength of the teachers unions in a lot of cases. But I would if if it if, if we don't come close to demanding this, we're going to have a really imperfect fall and maybe even potentially a winter. I know you're a teacher. I don't want to get you in hot water. But where would you stand on that? Yeah. So, I mean, what I would say is that if you do it for one profession then we've got to do it for all professions, I mean, we didn't do it for healthcare workers. We didn't mandate that all healthcare workers mm-hmm. have to be vaccinated. Um, so I would, I mean, if we want to do it for one profession, we've got to do it for all professions. We can't just simply say, you know what, we're going to pick on teachers for this. We're going to force all teachers to get vaccinated. I mean, and I'm saying that as someone who thinks that, yes, all teachers should be vaccinated. I think that if we force them to, that's okay. But we, we have to do the same with the other like, professions as well, or else it's just really unfair. Like you've got you'll get a student um, and they could be even six years old. And if kids can't prove that they've got a measles vaccination or or an MMR or a hep B vaccination, they're suspended. Um, (laughs) This is uh, and and these diseases aren't quite as rampant as COVID-19 is. So I don't get the logic to to not even thinking about it. Right. Yeah. I mean, when it comes down to student vaccinations. Yeah. I mean, like. Well, that's definitely one thing which you can do for sure. I mean, we already have that. And I mean, if Mm -hmm. you want to become exempt from a vaccine, there's a big, you know, like process that you have to go through. But we already know with like COVID-19 that in order to reach herd immunity, we need a lot of people vaccinated. And I mean, I'll be honest, I don't think we're going to reach the level where we'll ever see herd immunity. But we need to do everything we can to get as many people vaccinated as possible. Mm -hmm. And if we do want to open up schools, we have to get kids vaccinated as well, because just simply having the adults in the building vaccinated, that's great. But if one kid transmits it to mm-hmm. someone else, they bring it home to their unvaccinated family, then, you know, we'll be in a similar situation, which we've been in for the last 16 months. Yeah, I hear that. Uh, Ryan, have a great uh, long weekend. Thank you for all that you do. And thanks for spending some time with me, as always. Sounds good. Take it easy, Greg. See ya. You got it. Ryan Imgren joining us on uh, The Bill Kelly Show. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. I want to get to, to something on vaccines in a little bit uh, with Harvey Bischoff coming up next and uh, and talk as well about what was uh, said by the province yesterday. But this is where we're going, I think, in the United States. We're watching them be very, very cavalier about COVID. And we're, you know, I think there's a sense of envy and a sense of concern. But for the most part, and especially the outdoor things, like we're clutching at pearls here when we see these, you know, full, uh, you know, a lot of NFL stadiums late in the year were pretty full in playoff games and whatnot. We're seeing baseball stadiums starting to, to fill up. And they're not seeing an uptick of cases from there. There's nothing anecdotal. There's nothing data-driven. But Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island, uh, put out this statement yesterday. And this is where I want to go with Harvey in a second. In an effort to achieve near universal COVID-19 vaccination on its campus and return to more traditional operations, Brown University will require all employees to receive the final dose of a COVID-19 vaccine by July 1. Now, let me stop there. They can do that. They've got the vaccines available to get everybody a second dose. The efficacy is working for the first dose. They can get it done by then. We won't we won't be able to get every educator we want, even at a a post-secondary institution, a vaccine by July 1st, the second one. Let me continue on. The university will require that Brown students engaged in on-campus activity this summer receive the vaccine by the same date as part of the student vaccination requirement communicated in April. Students who are currently away from campus but will return for the 21-22 academic year must be vaccinated by the fall semester. So while we think that things are all loose and do what you want and laissez-faire in the U.S., there's a, a pretty prominent Ivy League university saying 
you're not coming back. You can't live a normal on-campus life um, without a vaccination. And I wonder if we'll do that here. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I do think there's some benefits uh, to it. No question about it. I was talking about it with Ryan Imgren last hour as well. Uh, Harvey Bischoff is the president of the OSSTF, the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation. Harvey, you hear that. Um, and, and I mentioned it yesterday. Can we mandate vaccines um, for members of your union? Can we ma- mandate vaccines for kids? What's your reaction on the, on hearing that? It's a really tough question. I'll be, you know, I'll be straight up with mm-hmm. you. Um, look, we're not, you know, we're certainly not promoting uh, mandatory vaccination, although we are, we are, um, you know, doing our best with our membership to educate them uh, so that they, so that they choose vaccination. But it's a medical procedure in the end, and and you know, requiring somebody to undertake a medical procedure, um, it, you know, is their consent coerced? Then it it gets difficult. Yeah, I can see that. Um, I, I'm hoping for the most normal to follow up on that, though. I'm hoping for the most we all are the most normal fall imaginable. Many of us will be or should be double dosed by then. So I, I think it's difficult to to picture a scenario this September, October, November, let's say for for high schools like what we just went through. Now, I thought it was safe. I thought the teachers did an amazing job. I think the cohorts work fairly well. But I think we all as parents want outdoor sports and cafeterias and dances eventually and field trips eventually. When a parent says that to you, what are your hopes and expectations realistically? Yeah, I mean, uh, my hope um, uh, may be a little higher than my expectation, but I think we should be looking towards something that's that's reasonably normal um, next year. We're still hearing about school boards looking at things like hybrid learning, where those who opt out would be taught online while the teachers instructing kids face-to-face in the classroom as well and that's just a pedagogical disaster that's yeah um, it's cheap but it's not good we're still hearing about quadmasters which pose all kinds of problems as well they're meant to limit the you know the cohort size but they are not pedagogically great either um so i'd rather see other safety measures in place and classrooms that look a lot closer to to normal um for the sake of kids who heaven knows need some normalcy in their lives um and and for the sake of educators who um you know are are worn out by now as well so how are the practical how are the practical methods of getting there this summer compared to last summer i know things started late i know you want i know this i know your union and others wanted to talk to the education minister and and the ministry of education uh as a whole and get more information and share more conversations um we know a lot more about the virus now we obviously didn't have the vaccines last summer going into fall what can we do differently this summer yeah, and, and vaccination is a game changer for sure. And, and you know, it is my sense that the vast, vast majority uh, of my members are, are lining up as fast as they can to, to, to get vaccinated. Look, my biggest, my biggest concern right, right now, my biggest distress um, about, about the coming school year is there's still no outreach from the ministry. Um, you hear the premier uh, talking about needing a consensus. You'd think that he would pick up the phone if he wants consensus. Um, I still can't get answers even to the formal letters I send to the Minister of Education. Uh, requesting meetings. So we know that they didn't put any significant amount of uh, money, resources into uh, into the kinds of, of uh, remediation that are going to be required next year. There's going to kind of be a, a, a you know a need for rehabilitation of the system and 
kids who, who have fallen behind um, because they don't, don't learn as well online, all of those things, and, and yet we're getting radio silence from the ministry when we would like nothing more than to work with them on, on having the most effective uh, school year, you know, beginning first thing in September next year, um, where we can work on catching kids up from, from, you know, from a really, really tough year that they've endured. Harvey Bischoff is our guest, president of the OSSTF, the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation. Um, When it comes to where we're going in the fall, um, is it difficult to foresee a scenario as well where we're not getting every teacher their second dose by then? Is that can you amp up the heat? Can you put the screws to the province and say, you want a normal fall? We want to give parents a normal fall. Many of us are parents themselves. Make sure we get our second dose uh, long before Labor Day. Yeah, I mean, we can we can advocate for that. Um, look, it, it, it's always uh, that, that becomes a tough question in terms of, uh, you know, like like we, we don't want to jump the queue over people who need it more either. Um, mm-hmm. There are some people who who are in in work situations, for example, you know, all of those uh, you hear about those overcrowded factories where people can't afford to take a day off and, and those sorts of things. So you don't want to you don't mm-hmm. want to jump the queue. But if we you know, if the if the vaccine rollout accelerates and we could get two doses into into every educator, that would be a, a massive assistance come September. The province is treating um, the uh, excuse me. The, the government is treating the province as a whole. Uh, we're not talking about regions right now when when they address reopening because they're worried about mobility. Now, even if I buy that as an argument, and I would for things like shopping and restaurants, that would never be the case with school boards and districts. Where you go to school is where you go to school. Um, are there schools right now that you look at the numbers and you go, yeah, I think we could be open. Yeah, I think we could maybe give kids a two or three weeks. We may not be able to do it everywhere in Ontario in the heavily heavily populated areas, but we can sure do it in some places. Do you have those conversations? I, absolutely, and I, I, you know, have had no hesitation to say that publicly. I'm mystified by the approach when the decision was made to shut down schools across the entire province. I didn't understand it. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, there were there were jurisdictions that we were deeply worried about in Peel and Toronto, York, and you know a few others. Um, and then there were others where where it, clearly the burden of virus in the community was so low that the risk was was reasonable to keep schools open. Um, and you know, you hear the you hear the government talking about school reopening being a priority, and yet they're opening other things and not reopening schools in those places where you could. So I'm just I I, I don't know how to reconcile those statements from the government. Um, you know, I will say their most recent announcement had a lot of good aspects in it, and and you know, was that that was encouraging for kind of the first time. But I I'm still entirely unclear on their approach to schools. You must hear teachers as well to come back to where we'll be in, in September, Harvey, that say, you know what will, um, you know, w- what will make the difference in the course of a long day. And, and again, I, I'm watching it in my own household. I tell teachers that live on my street, I, I, I don't know how you've done it. I can't thank you enough. We'll never be able to thank you enough. But I'm sure there are teachers that say, I- I'd love that balance. I want to I want to coach outdoor tennis in the fall. I want to plan for a March field trip. And obviously, you know, we're still taking some baby steps here. Um, it, will there be encouragement to potentially plan for those activities? And then if we got to scrap them, we scrap them. But not planning for them at all means they may not happen at all. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And and I would like to see that that planning begin. I mean, what you know, like, again, let's work together um, mm-hmm. and we can we can talk about what's. Uh, what's feasible uh, and and what's 
and what's good. Um, and, and, you know, talking about what's good is really critical here. At, there are so many of my members who, um, who engage in those things like, you know, like the, the, the field trips and the, and the sports and the other clubs, because they love doing it. It brings, you know, it, it enriches their work lives. It enriches the students' lives. And absolutely, they want to go back to those things. And I think there will be a, a huge lineup of kids and educators uh, who want to get back. Um, but that requires us being able to sit down with a ministry that needs to be transparent. What are the metrics? What are the concerns? How do we mitigate risk? It's just so much more difficult when there's no communication. What's the benefit for Doug Ford to say that teachers unions are are seeking injunctions to keep schools closed? What who, well, be, who yeah. benefits? I there? mean, then he doesn't have to take responsibility. Then he gets to point the finger rather than rather than bearing uh, the blame for his own decision making. Um, so you know, let me be clear: there is no threatened injunction. There is no there is no um, uh, pending legal action on the table at the moment. So what he's saying, I mean, is factually untrue, uh, but it's mostly uh, it, it, to me, it's identical to what he's been doing with the federal government and, and you know, the issue of planes landing at Pearson, for example. Uh, he's trying to deflect attention from his own really serious failures in the handling of the pandemic. And, uh, you know, the first wave was one thing, but he absolutely owns the failures of the second and third wave, the third being, you know, the most uh, mm-hmm inexplicable that they that they didn't respond uh, in any appropriate way so it's it's deflection it's it's uh, you know trying to lay blame elsewhere was it concerning yesterday um, amongst the good things that that show we'll get to the end of this pandemic when dr williams says i've been advocating for schools to be open for the last three weeks we've had five weeks of a stay-at-home order you could barely process the data from starting the stay-at-home order two weeks later to say, well, let's open all the, all these damn schools again. That made no sense to me. What did you think of it? I, so often I have a hard time just reconciling the various statements that they made. So yesterday I heard that reopening schools would result in a 6 to 11% increase uh, in, in cases, but that may be manageable. I don't know what may be manageable by who, you know, means by, by whom. Maybe it's manageable in hospitals and ICUs. It's not very manageable for the person who gets no. seriously ill. It's not very manageable for the person who ends up as a long hauler and feels the effects for months or potentially uh, years. So when Williams is saying that, I'm, I, at, at what risk? I, 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 don't, I don't get how he can reconcile that with the very same, you know, those numbers that said, uh, with, you know, a range of potential increases. Um, and we know that means real suffering for people. Well, and, and our cases are, are those cases, Harvey, between what's the ratio between students and teachers? Because we already know that a 14 year old's uh, COVID experience is not going to be the same as a 52 year old's, even if that 52 year old's partially vaccinated. We're five weeks away. They don't want to take that chance if it's at all unsafe. Yeah, I, I, and and the idea of of you know in certain in certain areas of the province, the idea of of sending my members back into those schools where there are still uh, community pos- you know test positivity rates in the ten percent range and and that sort of thing and significant mm-hmm. positivity amongst um, the high school aged uh, cohort that just that doesn't make sense to me. So I am grateful um, that schools, at least in a lot of places. Uh, you know, grateful for those places not being reopened. As I said, I think in some places it would be possible, uh, reasonable, but I'm absolutely grateful that those hotspots are not reopening right now. Harvey, I always enjoy our conversations. Have a great long weekend. Thank you very much for making the time for me. Thanks. My pleasure, Greg. Uh, Harvey Bischoff is the OSSTF president. 
The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Craig Brady. Hope you enjoyed it. The Bill Kelly Show podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you again for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review. And I'll be back with another one tomorrow.